vaccines are not being distributed to migrant workers, or at least I'm not aware that they are distributed in any significant way. The priority is still for citizens. So, um, so the government still draws this line um, between citizens and migrants in how they approach this entire pandemic. Yeah, so the discrimination is still very, still very deeply entrenched. So, so I think that's a major challenge. And the second major challenge is that migrant workers themselves cannot be empowered. Yeah, they cannot form their own unions, so they cannot speak up. Yeah, and many migrant workers actually want to speak up, yeah, but they're too scared to do so because they're afraid they'll lose their jobs. They're afraid that they can't come back to Singapore to work. So I, I think these are the biggest challenges. I think um, the culture of fear, the lack of freedom of expression, um, all this makes it very difficult for people who want change to make it happen. Please listen carefully. Hello and welcome to I Migrant Podcast, which is dedicated to highlighting the stories of migrants and advocates as well as cross-cutting human rights issues across East and Southeast Asia. The I Migrant Podcast is an initiative of BBC Network, Better Engagement Between East and Southeast Asia. BBC is a cross-regional platform for migrants, their loved ones, supporters and advocates in and from these regions to build a stronger network and collaboration among individuals and civil society actors cross-regionally in order to advocate for better protection of human rights and inclusive and safe governance of migration. You can find BBC on social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. BBC, share, connect, and collaborate. This episode is a part of a series focusing on COVID-19's impact on migrant workers in their major destinations in East and Southeast Asia, following up the cross-regional joint research conducted as part of BBC initiative. Throughout this series, we will host this podcast with the coordinator of this research to hear from each field researcher about the situation in their place, their experience and updates on recent developments. I'm your host, Andy, and today I am with Mariko. Mariko is the research, uh, lead researcher for the BBC's latest report. Hi, Mariko, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Yes, my name is Mariko, and I coordinated the research uh, looking at the COVID response measures and that impact, how, it, how they impacted the migrant workers' situations in the major seven destinations in East and Southeast Asia. Uh, we conducted this research during the summer in 2020, uh, together with our field researchers who are directly working with migrant workers' communities in their um, places. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be joining today with this podcast and just to let you know that the, the report is available on the website of Human Rights Working Group. Yeah, thank you for being here, Mariko. And today I'm also with uh, Daniel Avigra. Uh, Daniel Avigra is uh, from Human Rights Working Group. Hi. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Hi. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, I'm very happy because now we are having a conversation with uh, Jolovan. You know, right. everybody knows Jolovan, and I you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
Yeah, so today we are so lucky to have uh, Jolofan. Jolofan is a social worker at a humanitarian organization for migration economics. So I would like to just ask Jolofan to introduce yourself so we know a little bit about yourself and what you you do these past days. (laughs) Okay. Right. Hello, everyone. Um, So I am a social worker. I'm based in Singapore. So I work with an NGO called um, HOME, which is the Humanitarian Organization for Migration Economics. So I have been involved in migrant labor issues for the last, I think, almost 20 years already. Yeah. So so I work primarily at the moment with migrant domestic workers, though I've also worked with other um, categories of migrant workers, like those who are in construction, those who work in the shipyards. So, um, So Singapore has always been very reliant on migrant labor. So this is why um, it's important that you know, social workers and activists um, get involved in this issue because you know they're not citizens. So there's a lot that needs to be fought for, a lot of services that need to be provided. Yeah. Right. So we already know that you are uh, very uh, experienced in this field because you've been working for 20 years in this in this in this topic right so uh we would like so as you know we will cover this uh this podcast series about singapore and the situation of migrant workers there so could you please talk about a bit about the main findings that you uh, of the research that you did uh, last last year all right um main findings well i think one of the um, I think that the pandemic has affected a lot of um, migrant workers in particular because of the fact that many of them live in um, conditions which are very unsanitary and very cramped. So construction workers in particular, um, they live in the dormitories. So the outbreak in the dormitories actually was so serious that it became, I think, international news. Singapore initially, when everything, when the pandemic hit, it was uh, it had quite a good reputation in terms of how it was able to contain the virus. Yeah, but then when the virus broke out in the dormitories, um, thousands and thousands were getting infected every day. Yeah, so I think um, at the peak, I think it went up to like fifty or sixty thousand migrant workers. So, so that really changed the situation for us, and um, and, I, and our reputation as being able to contain the virus properly um, took a hit. Yeah. So, and migrant workers were, um, and, and and the situation was bad because um, the government also lacked resources. It caught them by surprise. So they came up with very draconian measures, you know, to try and um, contain the situation. And what do I mean by draconian measures? Like, for example, they um, don't allow the migrant workers to leave the dormitories. Even those who are not infected, for example, were not allowed to leave. They had a lot of problems um, with simple things like getting food to the workers, right? Because they were not allowed to leave the dormitories, so then the government had to work with the companies to cater food for them. And then that became a problem because the food was not suitable or the food was not fresh. And and then there were a lot of mental health problems which the workers faced because of the prolonged confinement. So till this day, actually, migrant workers still don't have freedom of movement because of the pandemic situation. And um, even though they are allowed to work, 
but after work they have to return to their dormitories and they can't go out on their rest days. So this is, so this is one of the biggest issues. And the other thing, uh, and for migrant domestic workers, they are also quite um, badly affected because um, the government then encouraged employers not to let them have rest days. Um, so then migrant domestic workers were stuck in their homes um, throughout the pandemic. And, and this is made worse by the fact that a lot of employers then started to, were also working from home. So when employers work from home, then you know there was more communication, more interaction with domestic workers and that led to more abuse happening. Yeah. So, so for example, our organization, we had a 20% increase in the number of calls yeah, during the pandemic period from domestic workers. So, um, so employment also became very precarious for many workers. So, um, because a lot of um, construction projects had to be put on hold, so then many workers were laid off and they were sent back home. And these are workers who could have a lot of recruitment debts. Um, Bangladeshi construction workers, for example, when they come to Singapore to work, they pay up to like U US $10,000 even for some cases. So then they were all just sent back prematurely. Yeah. Um, and the government was not willing to provide employment security for them. Right. And um, based on my uh, experience, like interviewing with the other uh, researcher from the other region, their problem is that sometimes migrant workers also have to like over overwork um, working hours is extended uh, like than normal so is it also the case in singapore or or is it rather that uh, yeah it's what you explain i think it depends on what industry you are in so if you are in construction you're in shipping um your your hours will not be extended in fact you want work yeah, because a lot of projects stopped yeah so many workers were just um didn't have anything to do and they were not paid because they didn't have anything to do. And that made them very anxious. Many of them went into depression because their families rely on them for income. And then all the projects had stopped. Um, but if you are in the cleaning industry, for example, then um, there were cases of overwork, right? Because um, the government then wanted cleaning companies to step up on um, sterilizing um, public spaces and ensuring and then doing more cleaning so that public spaces um, would be desanitized, would, would be sanitized. Yeah. So there had been reports of cleaners having to work longer hours as a result of the pandemic. Mm. And domestic workers too, yeah, because their employers were at home more, so they had more work to do and they yeah, yeah and they were subject to a lot more like verbal abuse, physical abuse. Right. Yeah, and could you talk about how you did the research last year and how is it for you personally? Did you talk directly to the migrant workers? Did you interview them or did you yeah, uh, also like collaborating with other organizations and protecting them? Yes, um, I think the research was done mostly through our casework because home um, runs a help desk and a helpline for migrant workers. So we were providing assistance to hundreds of workers who were affected by the pandemic. So we got a lot of our field data 
from from this mm. sector of the population. And and of course, we monitored the news. We monitored um, government announcements and policy changes, and we did our analysis of them. And we also um, issued statements and got involved in some campaigns um, to get the government to respect the rights of the workers. So continue with Andy's uh, uh, last question about how this personally for you, uh, 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 this research, yeah, Jolo? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was quite um, stressful because there um, <laughs> was an increase. I mean, because we, we have quite a... Uh, because of the increase in the numbers of um, workers that we had to see, And, and we were responding to new challenges almost every day. Yeah. So, um, and having to journey with these workers um, and documenting their challenges was, uh, was quite quite challenging for us. Yeah. Um, but it was good because we also had um, pretty substantial support from the community. And um, I guess the only silver lining, the only good thing that came out of this pandemic was that I think more Singaporeans realized um, that the situation of migrant workers was quite bad. Because my, the, 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 the plight of migrant workers has never received as much attention as it did when the pandemic happened. Yeah, so, so I think that's the only positive thing that um, happened. But of course, all this was at the expense of the misery, the despair, and the abuse that was happening. But it did make many Singaporeans realize that there were a lot of uh, problems with the way we treated my workers. That's that's quite interesting to know. Um, Jolovan, I also wanted to ask a little bit more about, you know, how because you work on the front line, really, um, you know, trying to support I and mean, supporting these people. How how did it change with the with the pandemic? Like, how much of your you know the caseworks have increased, and how? You know, how did it impact to the organizations and other civil societies as well? Well, it was difficult because, um, for example, the workers were not allowed to leave the dormitories. So they couldn't even come to our organization for help. So we had to work remotely. So we had to call them. Um, everything was done over the phone. And um, the government's response also slowed down a lot because there was just suddenly so much to handle. So a lot of our normal cases um, couldn't even be handled properly. Um, and it was also difficult for us because uh, our shelter capacity was affected because we had to safe distance all the residents who were staying with us. So that meant we could only we could receive fewer residents. Yeah, but at the same time, because of the pandemic, more people wanted to leave their employers' homes. So, um, so that was very challenging for us, and uh, and even our um, the staff and the volunteers had to work remotely, yeah, because um, we were not considered an essential service. So um, the government didn't allow those who were not considered essential services to to work in their in the office or to leave their homes. So everyone had to work from their homes. Yeah. So it just basically turned, I think, everything upside down. Yeah. Not just in terms of the challenges that the workers face, but even the way we administered our services. 
Thank you. Yeah. Right. And um, after the research is being conducted, how is currently how is it currently the situation for the migrant workers? What has changed, and what are the current concerns? Are the vaccines or uh, it's uh, distributed to migrant workers or? Um, no, um, vaccines are not being distributed to migrant workers, or at least I'm not aware that they are distributed in any significant way. The priority is still for citizens. So, um, so the government still draws this line um, between citizens and migrants in how they approach this entire pandemic. Yeah, so the discrimination is still very still very deeply entrenched. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you to share with us about these structural issues in, in the background of the, you know, all this plight of migrant workers during the pandemic, because it's a very um, clear in Singapore, uh, a lot of, um, you know, most of migrant workers has very restricted rights and which led to this, you know, the, the worsening of their, their situations. So just to give you know our audience a bit of backgrounds, like what is the main uh, the issues that underlines and you know, structurally how the migrant workers has been treated structurally in Singapore. Right. Okay. Um, these structural problems have always been around, um, whether there was the pandemic or not. Right. So so I think the pandemic just made these structural problems more visible. The uh, very obvious one was the their living conditions. Yeah. So um, we don't have um, sufficient regulations to ensure that they have um, good living conditions. Um, a lot of the, 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 the places that they lived in were always very cramped, very dirty, very unhygienic. Um, the other issue was food. Um, um, many migrant workers don't get nutritious food. Um, and companies tended not to spend much money on their diets. Yeah, so, so this also became a big issue in Singapore. Um, the recruitment fees that and the employment vulnerability because they don't have a right to switch employers, right? So I think a lot of people usually associate that with the Middle East, right? Like they have the kafala system, the employer employment sponsorship system. Yeah, so it's very similar in Singapore. Um, there is like a kind of a sponsorship system as well. So your employment is tied to the employer who um, brought you into Singapore to work. Yeah, so if the employer doesn't consent, you cannot um, go to um, another, you cannot switch employers. What about the, the labour labor rights, like labour standards, you know, the protection by law, um, the wages? Can you tell us a little right. bit about that? Yes. So, um, so they don't have a right to switch employers freely and um, so it is very difficult for them to um, seek redress when they are unfairly terminated. So, um, so this happens a lot and with the pandemic that was even worse um, because there were just not enough jobs to go around so everyone just got um, laid off quite massively. Um, they also don't have the right to form their own unions so which means it was difficult for them to speak out and many of them are afraid of losing their jobs if they were to speak out. Alright, Jolofan, uh, 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 I'm so happy uh, here because you've done with your organization amazing, you know, uh, assistant with uh, one of the most vulnerable groups in Singapore migrant worker community 
and and what uh, kind of challenges do you face while of course movement restriction and then uh, also have to really uh, obey the health protocols on how to get really uh, get direct support to them and get connected with them so tell me how how you did that especially during during covid time you know uh, jolo uh, okay so because we have an existing network of workers whom we assist so we were able to get in touch with other workers through them and because even though the workers couldn't get out of their dormitories or couldn't get out of their homes we were able to contact them through social media so we also did some social media publicity so workers were able to get in touch with us through that and we also did a lot of physical outreach work because there were a lot of workers who were not in the dormitories and who were living outside so those workers were actually very vulnerable as well um, because they were not allowed to leave their 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 homes yeah so we did a lot of so we went into a lot of the areas where many migrant workers live and we just went into their homes we knocked on their doors and then we gave out masks and then we said if you need help you need top up for your phones um, we are here for you so there was a lot of physical outreach work so i think we reached out physically to about 700 workers yeah so how, how is the situation now can you do more physical work um, outside compared to uh, summer yeah so now so now the workers are allowed to do work but um, once they finish their work they have to go back yeah mm. so then they're not allowed to leave they are not still allowed yeah, to so hang no, out outside is, or do other things yeah that's right they, yes they're not allowed to hang out and outside to do other things yeah and um, does this apply so, only for migrant yeah. workers or is it for anyone or is it it only applies to migrant workers yeah 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 so also right. i'd like also to really uh how to call that uh, uh see how singaporean government really you know have a policy to uh, you know like a, have a dedicated uh, uh, uh shelter to migrant worker it is it is a treatment uh, uh, uh from the government of singapore to really how to call that spirit the, the the migrant worker with the community how you see this treatment whether it is effective or even it, it is really uh, or, or even you know like the containment of, of the spread of the virus getting faster among of them so so how you how you see this kinds of policy in singapore well i mean at the moment the government has been able to successfully i think um, prevent the spread of the virus yeah but it's not because they kept all the workers inside the dormitories yeah i mean they are preventing workers who are not infected by the virus from coming out as well yeah so this is where the discrimination is they haven't said officially why they are doing that yeah but we suspect it could be that they are afraid that singaporeans might be scared um, that these workers have the virus so they they don't want um, there to be some kind of i think anxiety or stress among singaporeans but i think this is not a good excuse um, because we only just need to educate people and say hey these people are not infected so they should have the same freedoms as you do you know just because you're a migrant worker doesn't mean you are more uh, more likely to get infected yeah so so these are education efforts which we think um, need to be done but it's not being done at the moment yeah I also wanted to follow up, you know, when we did the research together, um, there was an information that we got that the government have promised to build a new 
dormitories to host about 100,000 migrant workers safely. Um, how is it going on? Is it uh, still ha- is it going to happen or is there any development on that? Yes, yes, this is happening. So, um, so, so dormitories are being built, but we don't have access to these dormitories, so we're not sure um, what kind of standards they are, and it is very difficult to trust what comes out from the state media, also, yeah, because they have a tendency to only, you know, show and say nice things about what the government is doing, yeah. So until there is like, you know, independent witnesses to go in and see, <laughs> it's it's very hard. Yeah, to say that the standards are, are good. Yeah. And this was one of your, one of your um, advocacy works. Um, that was, I think. Yes, I mean, we we have been we have been advocating for better living conditions for workers. I mean, not just home, but other NGOs as well. We've been advocating for better living conditions for them for many, many, many years. I mean, I remember getting involved in a campaign like that way back in two thousand and nine. Yeah, mm-hmm. so this is a very, very old issue. Yeah, but it took the pandemic for the government to say we need to do something about this. Mm. Right. And talking about the dormitory facility, right? I know that the government now, I mean, they already provided this dormitory facility, but they, but they don't provide this access for the migrant workers uh, for support. They don't have access to healthcare or, or just the access about information to to get a vaccine um oh, how 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 this the civil society organization responding to that right yeah so civil society groups have been trying to translate a lot of the information that's coming out from the government into their respective languages yeah so we've relied a lot on social media to spread these messages as well but because every day especially at the height of the pandemic Um, the information keeps changing and there's a lot of information coming out. So that meant that it was difficult to, you know, to, to put out timely information for the workers. Yeah, because you need resources, you know, to, to do the translations. And, um, and basically, a lot of NGOs are so stretched, you know, doing all the other things like providing direct assistance, providing financial assistance, doing the counselling. Yeah. Writing emails to the government, appealing on their behalf. So there was just so many things that needed to be done. Yeah. So um, and so that make um, coordination um, very difficult as well. Yeah. Because um, and there were and suddenly so many um, a lot more groups also started to form. Yeah. To respond to the situation. Yeah. So I think from a more um, from a more macro point of view. And there were also challenges in terms of coordinating you know, um, what groups should do what and who would work together. And, you know, so there were these kinds of um, um, logistical coordination and administrative challenges. So, uh, uh, Jolovan, yeah, Marika first, go. Okay, uh, uh, after being a year uh, under the pandemic, uh, Jolovan, Uh, how you observe whether the Singaporean government really changed their treatment to migrant worker or the policy, the measure is getting more, uh, how do you call that, uh, more inclusive or, or, or no uh, to, toward migrant worker? No, it's still about the same. Yeah. So um, because the fundamental attitude hasn't changed, right? Uh, migrant workers are not treated equally. So because they're not citizens, they don't have political power. So a lot of their concerns tend to be swept under the carpet, right? 
so um, they still can't form their own unions. They still um, don't have the, the same levels of employment protections that locals have. Um, so I think the government is just doing enough so that it doesn't give them a bad international reputation. Yeah, but there's still so much that has to be done, and these are things which we have highlighted for many, many years. But um, it still remains the same. Yeah. What is what do you see as the main challenge as a civil society in Singapore to to advocate for this structural change? I think you know, a lot of. Um, Sorry, um, just you know, responses, <laughs> emergency responses are done, but kind of yeah, just structural focusing. I think there is a lot. There is a lot of fear. Yeah. So, um, um, a lot of civil society groups um, are afraid of um, offending the government. So, um, so they don't want to be too critical. So then, many of them just stick to doing um, charitable work. Right. So if I were to distribute food, if I were to provide direct services, I alleviate suffering. Yeah, these are the kinds of things which are not controversial. So a lot of um, NGOs tend to stick to that kind of work. So there are very, very few uh, that will criticize publicly or start a campaign uh, to get support. You know, so, so I think that's a major challenge. And the second major challenge is that migrant workers themselves cannot be empowered. Yeah, they cannot form their own unions, so they cannot speak up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And many migrant workers actually want to speak up, yeah, but they're mm-hmm. too scared to do so because they're afraid they will lose their jobs. They're afraid that they can't come back to Singapore to work. Yeah. So I, I, I think these are the biggest challenges. I think um, the culture of fear, the lack of freedom of expression, um, all this makes it very difficult for people who want change to make it happen. I think it is related to our finding too, yeah. Like our uh, finding of our uh, study last year, repression and relation, that the problem uh, happened among migrant workers. It also relates with the democratic uh, sphere in in particular places, right? So uh, you know, uh, it is also faced by migrant worker. They have no uh, such kind of representation or underrepresentation in the way they can voice out their concern and their uh, a voice, you know, out uh, from them. Yes, absolutely. And I think it relates to the the cross regional platform we are doing here. Uh, but how do you see this? Uh, the importance of this cross regional platform and or cooperation among the civil society, like uh, providing the platform for their for them to speak up. Do you think? Uh, it, it will be challenging or will it be useful for them to like share the stories through the platform what do you think um yes i I think sharing stories helps to raise awareness but i think uh that's not enough because i think um, we can tell stories but how then do these stories then translate into you know actual concrete change yeah so i think the big problem is you have awareness but the, the the, the bridge between awareness and actual substantive change is, is something that we it's very difficult to bridge, right? Because it requires all the political will on the part of governments. It also requires politicians, you know, um, to keep raising these issues. But politicians won't raise these issues. Or even if they raise these issues, they will raise them in a way that's um, very minimal. Yeah, because these are not their constituents. Yeah, so, you know, they're not going to be... You know, Singaporeans... Even though Singaporeans are concerned, but they're not uh, concerned to the extent that 
um, their representatives will, will speak up strongly and campaign vigorously on their behalf. So I think that's uh, a big problem. So, so I guess regionally, if we're talking about regional responses, I suppose ASEAN, you know, should can do something and should do something. Yeah, but um, ASEAN also has a lot of problems, right? It's quite weak. It has a policy of non-interference, and now um, there's a big political crisis in Myanmar. So, <laughs> so everyone's more focused on that, and yeah, so it, it's just. Yeah, so it, it, it can feel quite hopeless, actually. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit lonely um, situation, might be. But I'm just yes. wondering whether, um, you know, we also, in, in this platform, we also try to connect with uh, our our colleagues from Hong Kong, Taiwan, South Korea, Japan. Uh, maybe they have, similar, you know, like, different of course the political situation is very different um, but in terms of you know the migrant workers working there where they come from what kind of jobs they do is quite similar um, sometimes um, how would that be useful uh, in the situations in Singapore to to connect and kind of share their experiences um, lots of challenges are different I know but is there any kind of chance that this might be helpful or useful somehow um, yeah, I think it will be good to see how other countries are responding and what we can learn from them. And um, e even though it's difficult, but I think uh, um, learning from these other countries can also help us improve um, how we are responding to the challenges on the ground. And also um, seeing how other governments are dealing with the situation, um, we can then recommend to our own government as well. Yeah, so, so even though it's it's very challenging but there are still you know little um, um, slivers of hope you know little things that you can do to make things better and i guess we solidarity among us you know so that you don't feel lonely and there um, we had a <laughs> podcast series with someone from japan the other day said he felt that we're not alone doing this work <laughs> so you know we tried yes. to build solidarity and friendship there as well Yes, we have common struggles, yeah, so that's where the solidarity is. Continue to support the work that social workers and activists are doing on the ground, yeah, because um, migrant workers tend to be ignored, right, by politicians, by mainstream society, but yet they do so much for um, our communities. I mean, if migrant workers went on strike, I think a lot of our economies would collapse, yeah, so... Um, so we need to respect their rights, respect their dignity. Yeah, I think we already covered a few important things about the uh, research findings and how how was the research for YOLO uh, last year. The current situation, we already covered the current situation in, in Singapore that yeah, there are structural discrimination uh, against migrant workers in terms of uh, providing yeah treatment and yeah we also discuss we already discussed about the importance of this cross-regional platform that uh, to show that that we are we are not doing this alone that we are doing it cross-regionally and we share some we could share some experience and learn from each other would you like to add some more Mariko? no i think it was um very useful conversations to have thank you yeah all right, thank you so much for Jolo for sharing your research uh, findings and uh, sharing the current condition about migrant workers in Singapore. Really appreciate it. It was really interesting. I'm happy to share.
more about this joint research and the situations of other major migrant workers' destinations in East and Southeast Asia, listen to other episodes of this podcast series on COVID-19 and migrant workers. Thank you.